0: Welcome into Mile High Bourbon and Rye, a Colorado craft podcast. <laughs> Thank you for joining me for another episode of Mile High Bourbon and Rye, a Colorado craft podcast. If this is your first time listening, my name is Zach and if you don't already know, I love everything Colorado. I have been I am born and raised Colorado, grew up in the state, absolutely love essentially everything that it has to offer, from the outdoor activities, from the museums, the restaurants, from the sports teams. And, most importantly, the drinks, the craft beverages that are created here in the Centennial State. This week, I wanted to start looking at the history of adult beverages, the history of beer, wine, and liquor in the state of Colorado. I started researching some of the overarching history of alcohol production in the state by looking into the history of whiskey in the state, which led me down a rabbit hole and into basically everything else. But the one that kind of was the most fascinating, the one that I was most interested in right off the bat to start off with was beer. And that's because, honestly, without the story of beer in Colorado, you don't really have a story of the rest of these beverages being produced in the state. There's no craft industry without beer here in Colorado. So, so with that in mind, I wanted to give a not-too-in-depth, but general overarching history of Colorado brewing. And so this episode is a brief history of the world of Colorado beer. For this episode, I am drinking a Colorado beer... I have, from Breckenridge Brewery, the Nitro Irish Stout. This beer was chosen because I think Breckenridge produces some pretty tasty brews. They do a great job. There's a reason they're as big as they are. While maybe not technically a craft brewery anymore, they are still producing some pretty tasty stuff. And with it being St. Patrick's Day weekend as I record this, I certainly needed to have something Irish style, as St. Patrick's Day is one of my favorite holidays it's my family's Irish and so we have always celebrated it and I keep that tradition up today the nitro Irish stout is as you can guess a Irish style stout roasted Irish malts and the nitro in it actually is really fun I'm a big fan of the nitrous on the beers instead of the carbonation as a means to get the bubbles The nitrous just adds kind of a little bit more of a smoothness to it that makes them a little bit easier to drink. So I've always been a big fan of nitrous-style beers. If you haven't tried it before, go pick up some Nitro Irish Stout wherever you find Breckenridge brews and enjoy. Unless you're not a fan of stouts, in which case I would say try probably a different one of their beers or a different beer in general. But that's what I have today. Very good. I like pouring it into a glass just to see it kind of cascade down the glass. Think a pour of Guinness. It's the same type of idea. So, with that, there is one more thing that I do want to touch on before we actually dive into sort of the bulk of the episode. Couple of things. First off, everybody who's listening, thank you guys all for your patience with this episode. I wanted to have an episode out before this one. But, due to a scheduling conflict with somebody who was going to be a guest on the show, not being able to make that work out the way that we wanted, and then my family being able to finally take a vacation, which we haven't done in about a half a decade. It just wasn't something that could happen. So, I postponed the recording, and now I'm here, St. Patrick's Day weekend, getting it recorded and set to go. For the vacation, we had a great time. It was wonderful to be able to go with my family and just... Tune out basically of, you know, responsibility essentially for a week. Something that we all definitely needed. Wonderful time. So we had a good time. Thank you all for your patience. And hopefully we'll be on a more regular schedule moving forward with the episodes of the podcast. The second thing I wanted to do was shout out the folks at Talnua Distillery, as well as the food truck that they had, Big Belly Brothers Barbecue. And a kitchen mouse who was she had a little stand set up to sell her baked goods at and this was all at their st patrick's day old saints keep release party we've been able to go to this two years in a row now it's always a fantastic time it's where i first actually heard roma ransom play who does the intro and outro music for the show they were there again this year playing absolutely wonderful to listen to live super fun They have uh, bagpipes that play, they have a couple of different bands, music, live music throughout the day, like I said, the food truck, putting out some great food, a kitchen mouse, putting out really good baked goods, including some Irish soda bread, and then delicious cocktails, one of which being a Tato Crisp Old Fashioned, which is a potato whiskey cocktail, and that sounds really, really weird and then you taste it and it is really really excellent. It is a little bit weird, I will say, like it's not not what you would expect with a cocktail. It's almost like a baked potato soup but with whiskey and it is just wonderful. So, shout out to Talnua for their OSK release party again. I did pick up a bottle of it. I haven't cracked it to try it yet. I plan on doing that here soon. I'll have some a review of that one up hopefully in the not too distant future. Absolutely cannot wait. It's always a fantastic release. It's always a fantastic release party. So, if you find yourself around Arvada during St. Patrick's Day weekend, stop into Talnua. You will absolutely not regret it whatsoever. So, jumping into the history of Colorado lib- libations, we are going to start with, as I said, the history of Colorado beer. Now, today, Colorado boasts more than 420 active breweries in the state. I've seen as much as 425, making it the state with the most breweries in the United States. There is a lot of beer production, but it all started with the Gold Rush back in 1859. As people were flocking from wherever it was that they were to find their share of the riches here in the Rocky Mountains, people with an entrepreneurial spirit followed to open up places for these people to share their hopefully newfound wealth. The majority of the drinks that were initially poured at the very beginning was whiskey. Whiskey was much easier to transport and bring into the state. You couldn't really carry beer across long distances. It would just, it would go bad. The whiskey was much easier to transport, like I said, little to no risk of spoilage, just overall the quickest, easiest way to make sure that you had alcohol to serve to the thirsty miners coming here to try and strike their fortune. However, the desire for beer was real, and as more and more people flocked to Denver and the surrounding areas, brewers were getting ready to satisfy that demand. The earliest recorded brewery that I was able to find in the research was Rocky Mountain Brewing, which only lasted for about a year, but more breweries followed suit, including one that exists today after being reopened, which is Tivoli, and they launched initially in 1859 as well, according to their website. As I said, they did close their doors and then reopen, and then close their doors and then reopen, but we'll get to that a little bit later on. Basically, though, in Colorado, wherever a mining town was being established, there was sure to be a saloon and a brewery following close behind. According to one article I found, During the Gold Rush boom, Colorado had as many as 129 active breweries going in the state at that time, which is more than the state of Arizona had in the year 2019. That's 1859, 160 years in the past, more breweries than Arizona had at that point in time. For the most part, beers that were brewed in this time frame were German-style lagers or pilsners, And the barley for these had to be imported from out of state. With easier access to rice and corn, some brewers started to use these grains in order to brew their beers. However, that was considered then and still today to be an inferior product to the barley beers that were brewed otherwise. With the possibility of beer going bad very quickly, as I said earlier, especially compared to today... Beer consumption was very highly localized to the area around the brewery. So you'd have a mining town, that mining town would have a brewery, and then that brewery would give their beer or sell their beer over to a saloon. That saloon is where everybody would meet, and that's where the beer would end up being consumed. It wasn't going very far. It had to just stay really kind of tight-knit in the area. Well, in the latter part of the 1800s, a couple of the large brewers in the area began producing beer at higher volumes, and due to some technological advances, they were actually able to start shipping it both further distances in the state and even sometimes out of state. The big technological advances that did this were the crown cap to seal bottles and the process of pasteurization. The biggest brewery names that I found during this time were Zhang Brewing, which took up the mantle from Rocky Mountain Brewing, however, they are no longer around today, Tivoli Brewing, and a little company called the Golden Brewery, opened by a man whose name you might recognize, Adolf Coors, who opened the doors in 1873. Now, during this time frame, with the Colorado brewers able to ship out further, bringing the ability to sell to a wider audience, This also meant that breweries from out of state were able to ship their beer in or bigger breweries were able to go up into the little mining towns, up into the mountains, send their crown-capped bottles up into the mountains, which slowed down some production from some of the smaller breweries, but also allowed some of the local ones to kind of grow up to be a little bit bigger. However... Again, as I said, it allowed competition from out-of-state to ship beer in, and around the 1870s, around 1870, was the first time advertising for Budweiser was seen in the state of Colorado. Now, a little history on Coors, because to tell the history of Colorado beer, you have to tell at least some of the history of Coors. According to MolsonCoors.com, Adolph Coors, the founder, was a penniless brewer's apprentice who stowed away on a ship from Germany in 1868, made his way across the U.S., searching for a place to set up shop, and found Clear Creek in Golden, Colorado. Setting up shop there, he began to brew beer as Golden Brewery, and then the Zhang Brewery was actually purchased by a British group, and... Adolph Coors and other breweries put a lot of effort into marketing Coors as a local brew, which I'm sure a lot of you notice is very similar to how local breweries are marketing their beer today. They're not brewed, you know, if they're made here in Colorado, it's Colorado brewed, it's Colorado ingredients, it's Colorado owned, it's Colorado through and through, and it was a very similar thing as out-of-state beers such as Budweiser were starting to kind of try to push in That was a big push for the marketing of local Colorado. Tivoli Brewing also was keeping up with competition as well, producing beers into the early 1900s. Now, after years of growth in the beer industry in Colorado, Prohibition came along and really, obviously, just halted beer production in the state. If you're listening to this, you probably are either were around for or are at least aware of the 2020 prohibition, quote-unquote, shutdown that happened here due to the COVID-19 pandemic. In March of 2020, it almost became written that liquor stores would not be essential and would therefore shut down. There would be no way to purchase anything until lockdowns were lifted. A couple hours into this, and thousands of customers in lines at every liquor store across the entire Denver area, later, this decision was overturned, and the 2020 prohibition, as it was called, jokingly, was quickly ended. That only lasted a couple of hours, and people certainly were not happy with it. Well, 1916 is when Colorado officially passed prohibition measures beating the rest of the country by about four years. And at that point, the doors to almost all of the breweries were closed forever. Obviously, they would come back. As I said, today, it took about three hours. Back then, it took about 17 years. So people were certainly hankering for it when it came back. Coors was able to keep operational during this time frame by selling and making sodas, near beers, malted milk, and malt syrups. Tivoli was able to do something very similar, producing low ABV cereal beers. Basically, every other brewery in the state was not so lucky and would close their doors for good at this time. After Prohibition was repealed in 1933, Coors and Tivoli both returned to operation, Coors growing into the giant that we know them as today, eventually expanding east of the Mississippi and then globally, becoming literally a household name in beer. Tivoli Brewing also reopened its doors after Prohibition was repealed, and in the 1950s was actually one of the largest breweries in the U.S., until floods in 1965 forced it to close its doors once again. They did not reopen until 2012, however in 2012, they reopened in the same building with Modern Technology and are once again putting out terrific beers for you to go enjoy. That being said, it would be a few more decades before the craft beer industry really actually took off in the state of Colorado. Enter Charlie Papazian. I don't know that I'm saying his name right. I didn't see an official pronunciation for it. I've just read his name across essentially every history of Colorado beer that I read. In the early 1970s, Papazian was a Boulder teacher by day and a home brewer by night. He's actually credited with founding the American Homebrewers Association in 1978, and he is also credited with starting the Great American Beer Festival, which I am sure everybody who's listening to this podcast has, or is at least aware of, or has certainly been to. As sort of a kind of Not really shameful thing, but I actually have never been to the Great American Beer Festival, which I personally kind of find shocking for myself. I definitely would like to go. I hear it is a great time. It's been moved from Boulder down into Denver. It draws boatloads of people all the time, every single year when it goes, and is apparently a really fun event. So I'm hopeful I can maybe be able to stop in this year, and if so... Hopefully, we'll see you guys there. But back to Papazian. In addition to starting the American Homebrewers Association and starting the Great American Beer Festival, he also taught people how to homebrew. He would hold classes if you were interested in learning how to make beer, if you were interested in learning how to brew, bottle, even sell anything that you were doing. You would go, if you were in the area... Go see Charlie Papazian and learn exactly what it is that you wanted to do. Now this is pretty key because there are two people supposedly who took his classes and then went on to launch two pretty big names in the beer industry. The first one, the was the one of the co-founders of New Belgium Distill or New Belgium Brewing. New Belgium Brewing, obviously huge name now, expanded globally and, you know, undergone a lot of changes over the year. Still a little sad that Fat Tire is no more, and you can't buy the Amber Ale unless some stores still have a little bit in stock. But, hey, things change as life goes on. The other person was the founder of Boulder Beer, which would open its doors in 1979. Boulder Beer was another really big name. Hazed and Infused was a beer that a lot of people knew. And it looked like it was going to close its doors for good in 2020, once again due to that COVID-19 pandemic. Not due to the three-hour prohibition, but just due to declines in sales and declines in visitors during that period of time. However, it has new life with a new brewmaster today. Check out their website. They'll tell you more about it. Definitely check them out since the opening of boulder beer in 1979 colorado has seen explosive craft brewing growth from small local brew pubs and tap rooms all over the place to giant global players such as new belgium who start small for instance in fort collins only to grow to a global competitor and stake their claim on the global beer market with beer production in an all-time high here in Colorado, it is very easy to find a new place to try and a new beer to drink. We'll hop online, look at Google, and find a little brewery to go visit. We've discovered a whole bunch of them. There are some that are growing pretty big, uh, post, prost. There's satire brewing close, close to us in Thornton, who's still smaller but producing some really great beers there's denver beer company there's great divide there's just so many i mean i could rattle off names for a long time seeing as there's 420 plus names but let's just take for a moment and assume that all of the 420 425 breweries in the state have exactly 10 beers that they produce all the time that you can try This is in no way, shape, or form an accurate estimation. I am very much aware of that, but it makes math much easier, and I do like easy math. So, if we assume the 10 beers for each brewery in the state of Colorado, and you wanted to try a new beer every single day, you could try one new beer every day for 11 and a half years and never try the same beer twice. That's... Again, I know the 10 is not a totally accurate estimation for the number of beers each brewery has, but with seasonals, different rotationals, some brewers having more than 10 beers available, some brewers having less, I think 10's a decent estimation, and that's a crazy number. 11 and a half years before you would have to go back and try a beer again. And of course, over 11 and a half years, new beers are going to come out, so we're very lucky. It's truly amazing to live here in this state. With, as I said at the beginning of the episode, more than 420 craft breweries, more than 100 craft distilleries are now open in the state and operating, and more than 150 licensed wineries are open in the state and operating. There's so much to explore and there's so much to try. I am very excited to get into more of the history of brewing, of distilling, of wineries here in the state of Colorado. I cannot wait to continue to try more of these things. I cannot wait to share these things with all my friends, family, and you guys who are listening to this. I think it is a wonderful thing to be able to talk about this. I think these are... I think this is a very special state that I have been lucky enough to call home for as long as I have. So, I hope that everybody has enjoyed this semi-quick trip through brewing history in Colorado. I've said it before, and I will absolutely say it again, Colorado Craft truly is raising that bar a mile high. As always, I do have a dad joke to with which to finish the episode on. Why couldn't the Leopard play hide-and-seek? Because it was always spotted. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope everybody groaned at hearing that one, because... Anytime I tell a dad joke, people's eye rolls and groans all very much make me smile. So hopefully I got a good one out of all of you guys. I have links to all the articles that I read to find information for this episode in the show notes. Check those out. If you are enjoying Mile High Bourbon and Rye, a Colorado craft podcast, consider supporting the show by rating it, sharing it with other Libation lovers in your life telling other people about it, checking out our website, milehighbourbon.com, follow us on social media. You can search Mile High Bourbon and Rye in Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We'll pop right up. Give us a follow, say hello, and tell me what your favorite craft beverages that you've had recently are, Colorado-made or otherwise, because while I'm very much focused on Colorado, I've been lucky enough to try some stuff from out-of-state. There's a few different places I've gone to, and I know other states are making great stuff as well, so reach out, let us know what you're enjoying. I always love to hear about it. You can also support the show by going to milehighbourbon.com slash shop, pick up a rocks glass. We should have some new merchandise coming soon. I know I keep saying that. I am working on it. It's just hitting a couple of snags. So for now, we still have the rocks glasses. Check those out. We do ship inside the U.S., or you can donate directly to the show if you just want to support us with a little bit of a monetary donation, help keep the lights on, help keep the servers up, and we'll raise a dram in your honor. You can do that through PayPal. Those links are all in the show notes. Also, I do want to say thank you again to Roma Ransom for the intro and outro music. They do a wonderful job. Check them out on Spotify. And I look forward to talking with you all again. Slancha.